Welcome to Spring Ridge Church Podcast. We hope that you will be blessed by the podcast today. If you would like to find out more information about our church, our website's www.springridgechurch.com. You can send an email to me, the pastor, Scott Phillips, at pastor at springridgechurch.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Prayer requests, questions, desire for a Bible study, or you would like some information how to attend our church or another church of like precious faith. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. Numbers, the 15th chapter, verse 30. But the soul that doth all presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in ward. Everybody say in prison. They locked him up. Because it was not declared or revealed what should be, what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses... The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 32, I'll read that again. That will be our focus verse. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. For the next few moments, as the Lord allows, I would like to preach to you about the stick man. The stick man. Amen. We've already prayed, so you may be seated in the name of Jesus. The stick man in this passage of Scripture is faceless to us. We have no picture of him. He's nameless. So today I've just called him the stick man. And when I was thinking of this message before churches, it's almost like uh, you think of the stick figure that all of us grew up drawing. How many of you drew stick figures in, in, in your notes when you're supposed to be copying notes the teacher was saying and you're drawing sticks? And my, my stick figures had castles and they had swords and my stick figures had little, well, I guess you would call them cars, but if they ever built a car that resembled what I drew, um, my, my artistic ability is extremely limited. Um, but uh, this stick man was sort of like those stick figures. There's not a whole lot. He doesn't really have a face. We don't know what his name was. And in this passage of Scripture, we really don't know a lot about him. There's not a lot in this context that tells us who he was, what his name was, what he liked to do, uh, what his role was in the congregation of the people. Uh, but there is a term that comes from my public school days that is applicable to the stick man, and that is willful disobedience. <laughs> uh, that was a term they liked to use, and they would write you up for willful disobedience. You would have to go to the office, and I don't remember what system we had in place, but I do remember that if you got written up a certain amount of times, you were bound for suspension. 
and they didn't have any idea of, of the so-called in-school suspension. That meant you were going home for a few days if you were too disobedient. But uh, other than calling it willful disobedience, you could also call this intentional sin. This passage may seem harsh uh, when viewed through the lens of modern sensibilities. Um, this man, the stick man, was arrested and ultimately he was executed for the crime of picking up sticks. Seems harsh, doesn't it? Uh, according to what we just read, there was no defense lawyer. There was no sympathetic jury. There was no civil rights that he could, uh, could bring up on his defense. There was no chance for an appeal. There were only eyewitnesses and a stubborn and unforgiving horde of people. There was a prophet and there was his holy God. So the modern reader or the modern student of Scripture may struggle with the story because of the barbaric qualities and the absurdity of an execution and a punishment over such a seemingly trivial infraction. Certainly to my reading when I was this came across in my Bible reading and study, um, and I, I just had to think about it. I started dwelling on it. I'm like, God, why would you tell Moses, instruct Moses to kill someone for picking up sticks? The punishment does not seem to fit the crime. The modern reader may struggle and wonder how an all-knowing, all-loving, merciful God could prescribe death in this situation. But I tell you today, a closer look at the scripture puts this narrative into some context. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? I think everybody's heard of the Ten Commandments. Okay, y'all aren't participating today. I say, how many have heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, and give me a little nod. Give me the Baptist nod at least, okay? If you can't, if you can't be apostolic today, at least give me the Baptist nod and say amen. All right. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. We've, we've read these famous things. You know, have no other gods before him, no graven images, honor your father and mother, mother. Uh, don't steal, don't kill, all these things. But in those Ten Commandments, there's also a, a commandment about the Sabbath day. Now, these are not laws that Moses created on the mountain, but rather these are things that God gave to Moses on tablets of stone written with the finger of God, at least the first time. He said, remember the Sabbath day in Exodus, the 20th chapter in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor to do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do anything any work. Say with me, do not do any work. Okay, this is the Lord. Uh, who's not to do any work? You are not to do any work. Your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, thy cattle, the stranger that's within thy gates. The same law for everybody. Nobody gets a pass on this. Everybody has to observe the Sabbath and do no work on it. But the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord, and in that they shall not do any work. Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, uh, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and He hallowed it. He made it a holy day. 
So Sabbath days for them was a holy day. Again, Exodus 32 and verse 12. We'll begin reading. It says, No, it wasn't verse 32. I have lost my place there. Anyway, again it says the Sabbath day is holy. And in that passage of Scripture that I obviously wrote down wrong and marked wrong in my Bible that I can't read to you, it is a sign of sanctification or being sanctified. It's a sign of that the Lord has called you out from Egypt. He's called you out and so you're a separate people. You're a chosen people. And the sanctification is for a sign of your holiness. Exodus 35, verses 1 through 3. And Moses gathered all the congregation of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that you should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a day of rest, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doth work in them shall be put to death. He goes on to say in verse 3, You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. So you're not even supposed to make fire. You're not supposed to cook. There's a whole litany of things that observant Jews would not do on the Sabbath day. Why? Because God commanded them to keep it as a holy day, a day of rest, a day when they would reflect on the things that God had done for them. You have to understand that God just wasn't doing this to make some kind of laws, but He was trying to create a holy nation, a holy people. He had called these, these group of people that had lived in Egypt for 400 years. He had called them out a place of bondage. He had called them out a place of idolatry worship. He had called them out uh, and they were, he was trying to get their mentality from a worldly mentality if you will or a, a, a mentality where they were separated from the God. He was trying to change their mentality to think on him and on his law and on holy things. He was bringing them to a land that was inhabited by people that were wicked. He was bringing them to the land of Canaan, which was filled with Amorites and Hittites and Parasites and Jebusites and all the other ites. That were, and they did all manner of evil things, uh, human sacrifice and their worship to their gods, the murder of children and all sorts of abhorrent things that you can't even describe from a pulpit because they were so evil and they were so wicked. And God was saying, I have called you out. I have put my name on you. You are my people. You're the chosen people. You're the ones that I gave the promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob about, but you can't be like these people. You're going to inherit their land because because their wickedness is full. They were so wicked that the Lord had devoted them to destruction. And he was going to give them the land, the land that Abraham's foot had trodden upon. And part of, and part of that, they were to be a holy people. But we also know from Scripture that they were a stubborn, or as, as the King James Version puts it, a stiff-necked. 
They were a stiff-necked people. They were a stubborn people. And the things uh, for those last 400 years had been indoctrinated in their minds and they had their own ideas about God. Uh, they were accustomed to idolatry worship. They were accustomed to bowing down to graven images and offering uh, food sacrifices, if you will, uh, to, to supposed gods and deities that looked like animals. That's why they made a golden calf. That's why they worshipped all the, the things of Egypt. This is what they were accustomed to. And, and so we come in, in light of that, then we come back to our, our context, the context in which you have a man, a stick man, who has not kept the Sabbath. Verse 31, or actually verses 30 through 36 that I read you in my text, uh, is immediately preceded by a, a passage of Scripture that describes what offerings can be offered for unintentional sin. If the people were to transgress God's law unintentionally, they did it innocently, there was sacrifice for their sin. There was a way available to them uh, for their sin to be rolled forward and they, their iniquity would not be upon them. Their sin would not be upon them. But if they willfully and intentionally broke the word of God, broke the commandment of God, then there was no sacrifice, there was no offering for their intentional sin. So this man was caught in the very act. He was guilt. His guilt was obvious. Since everyone knew no work was to be done, he was without an acceptable excuse. My question is, why did he do this? Did he forget? No, he didn't forget. Was the transgression unintentional? No, it was not unintentional. He was trying to get, was he trying to get a head start maybe on his chores for next week? Doesn't matter. God said not to pick up sticks on the Sabbath day. Don't do it. Don't do any work. Since everyone knew that no one work could be done, he was truly without excuse. Based on the context of the scripture, his sin was deliberate. He knew it was wrong. He intentionally chose to do something that broke God's law. And he stuck a stick in God's eye and plain view of the congregation of the people of Israel. Is it possible that day that the man woke up and thought, I don't care what Moses had to say. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm my own man. I've been set free from Egypt. I can do as I please. I'm old enough and bad enough and strong enough to stand on my own two feet and do what I want to do, no matter who tells me that I can't. I think that was probably his attitude. I, I think perhaps that he maybe, perhaps, Pastor, he may even had a, a, a rhyme or a song as he was going about his business that day. He may have woken up and thought, one, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, unlock the door. Come on, somebody. Five, six, what are we going to do? We're going to pick up sticks. Seven, eight, lay them straight. Nine, ten, I was taught do it again. Brody says big red hen. I, I don't know what big red hen has to do with it. 
But he intentionally, he had intentionality when he woke up and he put his shoes on. He had intentionality when he went out uh, the door of his dwelling. He intentionally went out and gathered sticks. And he did it in full view of the congregation of Israel. To put it mildly, he stuck a stick in the eye of God. The eyewitnesses took him into custody and they brought him before Aaron and before Moses and the Bible says before the whole congregation. The guilt was obvious, but what was not so obvious was how to punish the crime. The law clearly states that anybody that breaks the Sabbath must die. But they brought him to Aaron and Moses and they're going, what do we do with this person? So eventually Moses, of course, goes to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. This was not Moses' ruling. It wasn't the high priest Aaron's ruling, but it was the word of the Lord. The law said he must die, but a precedent was about to be set. Did God mean what he said in his law? Will he stand by his word? And I believe that in this day and hour, this same question is pondered in the minds of people. Will God hold man accountable according to his Word. There are many today that don't they think God will not, quote, send me to hell. God won't send anyone to hell. He's a loving God. His mercy endures forever. And those things are certainly true. But I want to tell you today, you better not be deceived by the lie from hell that no one is going to hell. You better know, you better know today that God is true to His Word and He will stand by His Word. He is serious about His Word. He says what He means, and He means what He says. Uh, there, there's people all across this, this country, indeed, this, this whole world. There are denominations of so-called Christianity uh, that water down the Word of God. They water down what the Word of God says we must do. Uh, they, they don't want to hear about the new birth experience. Uh, they don't want to hear about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They want to believe in a so-called once saved, always saved, unconditional love of God that no matter what you do after you're saved you can do whatever you want to do and live whatever life you want to live and you're still going to go to heaven. I've been to un told amounts of funerals where people that I knew died under bad circumstances and, and they lived an evil life, a life that was separated from God, yet men of God, supposedly so-called men of God, get in the pulpit and put them sitting uh, right up there with Jesus and the apostles. Amen. But I tell you today, while it's not my place to judge who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, amen, there is a judge, a righteous judge, a holy God, and he takes his word seriously. And if his, his Bible, his word says that we got to be separated from sin, he meant what he said. He will stand by his word. The stick man despised the Word of God. He despised it. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. I ask you today, do you love the Word of God? Is it the oxygen that you breathe? Is this the sustenance that you feed to your soul? 
I ask you today, do you love the Word of God? Psalm 119 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because I love the Word of God. The entire chapter of Psalm 119 is about walking in the Word of the Lord. It says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 11 is one of my favorite. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 24, thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. Verse 81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 114, thou art my hiding place and my shield, I hope in thy word. 133, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. 160, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. His word, people, is forever and ever. It was established from the very beginning when God opened his mouth and he said, let there be and there was. From the chaos of nothingness, God spoke into existence. The worlds and all of the universe was created by the power of his word. His word is established and it's forever settled in heaven. It does not change. He does not change his word to suit me or my agenda or my habits or whatever I may want to do. His word is settled and I've got to change to modify my life to suit his word. He doesn't modify his word to suit me. I'm the one that changes. I'm the one that's in need of forgiveness. I'm the one that's in need of altering their habits and their deeds. I'm the one today that needs the word. Amen. We need the word the stick man, he despised the word. And there are people today that despise the word of God. They don't believe that the word of God or that God will do what he said he will do. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 19 through 21. These are the works of the flesh. Listen to this. Works of the flesh are manifest. That means made plain. They are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. New Testament. New Testament. After the law. Jesus is our Sabbath day now. But here's Paul. He says, don't let anybody judge you on Sabbath or keeping of holy days. We accept that and we believe that. 
I'm not preaching that you've got to take Saturday off. That's not what I'm telling you today. But what I am telling you is that there is a God that upholds His Word. It says here that Paul said, shall not inherit. There are people that want to take a, a black Sharpie marker and just mark those words out. They, they may as well cut them out of their Bible because they do not believe them. They, and then Paul's not writing to a bunch of lost, unsaved people. Paul is writing this letter, the epistle, a letter to a church. To a church. People that have experienced uh, Calvary. People that have been filled with the Spirit. He's not telling them you're good if you do these things. I know you've been saved. I know you've been baptized. I know you've spoken in tongues. I know there was a time when you've been found in church. But if you do these things, they're not good, but you're okay. It says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not. That's pretty plain to me. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Again, shall not inherit. Amen. This may seem a little bit harsh this morning, but I'm reading to you from the Word of God. And it may, it may sound a little harsh today because we've gotten away from teaching the, the, the uh, principles that are found in the New Testament. God will uphold the truth that is in His Word. He says they shall not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom. Doesn't sound to me like Paul is saying if you do these things, you're, you're going to be okay. You're under the mercy and grace of God. God is going to be mad at you, but you're all right. You've grieved him, but he's going to say, come on in. That, that's not what's going on here. Shall not inherit. Verse 11 says, such were some of you. But, it doesn't say such are some of you. Such were some of you. Amen. When we repent, there's some things we've got to leave behind. When we're living a, living a repentant life, life, we have to leave some things behind. Paul says you were this way, but now you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. So such were some of you. But this is not a... a, a uh, Paul by no means was giving a license to do as we pleased. We were this way, but now we are being called holy. We've been called sanctified. We've been called out from that, and now we are to live a holy life unto, dedicated, consecrated unto the service of our Lord. There is a lie in circulation that says you can be saved and live any way you want. People are deceived in thinking that they can willfully sin and God will overlook their sin. He will not. We cannot poke a stick in the eye of the Lord and expect Him to say, Well done. You got me. Poke me in the other eye. Well done. Come on into the kingdom of God. There are simply consequences for picking up 
There are consequences for thumbing your nose at God. There are consequences to living a life of sin. Hebrews, the 10th chapter and verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Again, I didn't write this. I didn't write the book of Hebrews. It was inspired by the Holy Ghost. I didn't write that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to have to live that, that in my life. The truth of the matter is, he says, if you sin willfully, that lets me know right off the bat there's a difference between sinning willfully and sometimes we sin uh, in just in a bad moment. We sin in a bad moment, we do something uh, that we immediately regret. There's, I believe there's mercy and there's grace for that. I believe there's mercy and grace for that. You have a bad day. You slam your, your finger in your car door and you get mad at your neighbor or you get mad and kick the dog or you have a bad moment. There's mercy. There's grace for that. But there's entirely another thing to get mad at your neighbor. Okay? And go inside and get a gun and go raise pain or take care of it. That is sinning willfully. There are people that literally believe you get mad. You go in and get a gun. You go next door and shoot your neighbor. That in that moment, if you were to die, you would still go to heaven. I'm going to tell you that's a lie from hell. In that moment, you're lost. In that moment, should God, uh, should your time be up and God call your number, you're lost. You get shot by your neighbor and you're trying to kill him. Bad news for you. You're lost. There is no more sacrifice for that. You've received the knowledge of truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Verse 27. But a certain fearful looking for the, of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now we've talked about that. The witnesses established what the sick man did. They died under the law. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. But verse 29 says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing that have done uh, despite unto the Spirit of grace. In other words, insulted the Spirit of grace, trodden Jesus Christ underfoot, God counted his sacrifice and his blood as nothing, and said, I'll go and do what I want to do because I'm a sick person. I'm a sick man today. I'm going to do what I want to do. There's a sin that's been in my life, and, and you've been harboring that, and you've been feeding that lustful thought, or you've been feeding that, uh, that anger spirit that in you. You've been feeding the works of the flesh in your life and it keeps building and you're not repentant and you finally you come a day of your point of weakness that you go and you willfully act on that. You're treading on the Son of God. You're willfully sinning. And there remains no more sacrifice for that sin. For we know him that he has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. 
Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. But we're in a society, a day and time, where people no longer fear the Lord. They don't fear His judgment. They don't respect Him. They don't respect His Word. They don't respect the holiness of His nature. They don't respect His house. And they certainly don't respect the man of God. We live in a day and time where people don't respect the Word or the things of the Word. They don't understand that there is consequences for picking up sticks. The truth of the matter is all of us after Calvary, at some point or another in our walk with God, if you've worked to live for God for long enough, you've picked up a stick. You've willfully sinned. You've poked your stick in the eyes of God. I have. Everybody else in here has. There is forgiveness for us, but we have to have a moment and a time where we respond to a call in our life to true repentance. It's not to say that once you sin after Calvary uh, that you can't be forgiven, because you can be. But you have to leave those sticks behind. It's time for somebody in this house to bind up the sticks, to get, take their sticks and throw them into the fire of repentance. It's time for some stick person today to stop poking their stick in the eye of God. Ma'am and sir, God knows what it is that we think. He knows the actions that we take. He sees the things that we don't think anybody else sees. He hears and knows the things that we say. He knows the very thoughts and the intentions of our heart and he's looking down today and he's wondering if we will be willing to gather up the sticks that are in our life and burn those in the fire of repentance. Truly, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There's a famous, uh, a, a famous message that was preached in the so-called Great Awakening in America. And the man preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's a famous message. In fact, you can Google it and read the whole text yourself. But the accounts of that message going forth was that the, the building, the people in the building were shaking and they were trembling under the fear of God. And they ran down to the front or wherever they were at, they began to weep and to wail and to call on God because they still believed in the Word of God. They still had faith in the Word of God. They loved the Word of God. But we live in a time when the talk of a fearful God being, being in the hands of an angry God, it no longer shakes people. Our, our, our consciousness and, and our ideas and our minds have been so warped by the things that we watch and the things that we hear and the books that we read and the music that we listen to and the conversations that we have that we no longer fear God. Uh, we've been placated and our spirits have been uh, satisfied and we 
feel justified in our actions, saying, surely uh, God won't uh, mind if I do this thing or that thing. Surely he won't mind if I uh, cheat on my wife and she doesn't find out. If she doesn't find out, it's, it's all good, right? If, if God, you know, if nobody knows about the things I'm watching on my phone or the things I'm doing on my computer, it really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, everybody's doing it. Surely God wouldn't uh, send me to hell for that. Surely, surely you know, it's, it's all good. But I'm telling you today that there is, there is a fearful, there should be a fear inside of us, a respect to know that one day this loving Jesus Christ, our merciful, forgiving Savior, will stand as a judge. He will judge us according to his word. He will judge us, the Bible says, according to every idle word. He, he will look and he will know what the thoughts and the intentions of our actions were. And he's looking for some people that are willing to be holy, to be sanctified, to living a repentant life, to living a life that is respectful of him, respectful of the man of God, respectful of the things of God. I, I implore you today to read the word of God. Don't just read your favorite chapter and verse. Don't just read uh, the ones that you like. We all like Acts 2.38, don't we? We all like Acts the second chapter. I love Acts the second chapter. I love Romans 8. I love Psalms 119. I love Psalms 1 and Psalms uh, 23. Some of my favorite passages. But i got to get outside of those passages. Everything that God's got to say and has for my life is not found in those passages. I've got to look elsewhere, and I've got to know what thus saith the Lord. I've got to know how God would have me to live my life. I've got to be prayerful, prayerfully consider things like, what does it mean when it's, it says, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Just as sure as the promise of eternal life and salvation is found in the Word of God, so is the Scripture. I cannot discount that or say that's not for me or, or that's hogwash. I've got to love the Word of God. Amen. His Word is forever established. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall never pass away. He says what He means and He means what he says. Stand with me this, this morning, this evening, almost noon. I feel like I've been preaching forever, so I should probably quit. Colossians, the, one, the, the, the first chapter, verse 19, 20, tells us, man, that it pleased the Father that in Him, being Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, in you that were sometimes alienated, and enemies in your mind with wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's an amazing passage of scripture. We were at war. Our minds, our carnal man is enmity with God. We are at war with God. 
but because of his work on Calvary, because of the blood that Jesus shed, even our corrupt minds. He says, you were enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And he did this through his death so that he could present us as holy. The thing that was unholy because of his blood and because of what he did on the cross is made holy. That wicked mind that you may have or may have had in the past can be called holy when you make it obedient unto the cross. When you take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ, your, even your very mind can be purified and made holy. Your stinking thinking, as they say, uh, can be made into godly thinking. And when you turn from your wicked ways and start feeding your mind instead of negativity and, and bad things in the world. And uh, I heard someone today railing, the, uh, the other day, railing on the Grammys and the, the ungodly, awful things that happened on the Grammys and how sinful. And I'm thinking, man, I didn't even know there was a Grammys going on because I don't care. Because there's some things in my life that I've just cut out. There's some things in my life that I've just had to leave on the other side of the blood. I'm telling you today that, that God, is, he, he doesn't just stop at the cross and his blood being applied, but that's where the work begins. He starts to work on you, and he's been working on me. Hey, BJ, you've been spending too much time doing this. There's some things you need to let go of. Uh, there may be some apps on your phone uh, that you need to delete. There are some distractions that you need to eliminate, and slowly and progressively, God, for the repentant saint of God, he will keep you, and he will make you, and he will consecrate you and it doesn't just stop at the cross but it continues as you continue to grow in grace you may be sitting there thinking today my brother bj you you really you really nailed me I, i'm a stick person what hope do i have the only hope that you have and the only hope that i have and the only hope that pastor has and the only hope that brother ryan has and the only hope that our elders here have today is the work that was done on the cross and our obedience to the word of God. I am not without blame. I am not without sin. I'm not without guilt. I've picked up my stick and said, I'm going to do things my way, God. I'm going to show you I'll do it my way. But God was there when I wanted to throw my stick down and say, God, you know what? You're right. Your word is right. Your word is truth. Those things that were put into me as a child, separation from the world, holiness, loving God, faithful church attendance, you know all those things were true. Sometimes I had to poke God in the face with my stick and say, you caused this hurt, you let me hurt this way. God, I'm hurting and you knew it and you let me hurt and I'm mad at you about it. I've been so mad at God I didn't want to talk to him. And I had to repent. I had to repent because I was poking a stick in God's face. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the struggles that you're dealing with. He knows the addictions that you may be dealing with. And I'm telling you, there is grace for you, but you got to burn the stick. you got to drop the sticks. you got to get rid of the sticks because there's mercy and there's grace for us. Mighty God, we thank you today. Lord, I thank you for this word, God. Lord, I pray today that it was received in the spirit that I delivered it, God, in the way I felt it, God. Because I'm certainly no one to judge, God. I've sinned. I've fallen short, God. 
But Lord, I pray today that we continue to live a repentant life. Lord Jesus, a lifestyle that is pleasing to you. A lifestyle today that God says, I'm sorry and I'm not perfect. God, help me, Lord, to keep the things under the blood. To stay at the cross of Calvary, God. Mighty God, I thank you today, Lord Jesus. I pray that wherever you're at right now, if you would just, if you're if you're comfortable lifting your hands right now, that you would do that and begin to repent. Just say, Hey, God, I've got I've, I've, somewhere along the way. I've picked up a few sticks. Lord Jesus, I picked up some sticks and there's some things that I've been doing and some thoughts that have been in my mind that are unpure. Or I've taken some steps, God, and I, I picked up sticks, God, and I pulled them in your face. I, I pray right now that you would you would say, God, I'm I'm leaving this behind me. Lord, I'm finding my place of repentance. God, I'm going to not only say that I'm sorry, and not only, God, do I feel sorrow, God, I'm going to bring forth uh, works that are meet for repentance. God, I'm going to do some steps. I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to apologize to somebody. Lord, if I took money from somebody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return that money. God, I'm going to make some things right. Lord, I'm going to make some things right in my life. If you're struggling right now with some sort of addiction, whether you're here or watching this on Facebook, perhaps, I pray that you right now don't just say you're sorry. If you got an app you need to delete, delete it. Don't just say you're sorry and you're going to do better, but get rid of those things that are bringing you down. Get rid of those things that you know God does not approve of. Get rid of them. I, I beg you today. For it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Amen. His word, his word is written and it's settled. I wish I could make exemptions for people that I love, that I know are thumbing their noses in God when they know truth. I wish I could make exemptions for them. I wish I could tell them, you know what, God's got you, you're all right. You're not pleasing, but you're all right, but I can't do that today. I can't do it. Because every word of his is yea and amen. Every word is yea and amen. And he's not going to be up there making taking favorites. The same word that applies to you applies to the elders, applies to me, applies to the world at large. He doesn't make exceptions. I love, there's people in my family that I love, and I want to say, I want you to go to heaven with me. Why don't you put that bottle down? Why don't you lay that addiction aside? Why don't you stop talking that way and treating your family that way? Why don't you stop that cursing language? They won't do it. And God's not going to make exceptions. And that includes preachers. He doesn't make exceptions for me. Amen. His word is what it is. It says what it says. And there are no exceptions. Amen. Let's pray to God. Thank you, Jesus. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Thank you.